0: and more. Join us for this episode of Lifestyle Solopreneur. Hey, Lifestyle Solopreneurs. Today, we get to speak with Will Russell. In 2017, he launched Russell Marketing. It's an innovative digital agency specializing in e-commerce launch marketing. To date, they have generated over $20 million in revenue for 300 plus new entrepreneurs. He's been featured on Forbes, Business Insider, Cranes New York, Startup Nation, and more. In 2021, he launched the Russell Gibbs Foundation, a family foundation that offers grants and mentorship to 501c3 partners committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Welcome to the show, Will.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be here.
0: Well, it's great to have you. And we'd like to start by just having you tell us a little bit about what you do day to day. How would you describe what you do for a living?
1: Ooh, what I do for a living? Well, I, my marketing business is, is still the bulk of my time. I have goals every year to, to reduce the amount of time I work on my marketing business, uh, which is kind of the, the core income revenue, kind of my, my, my professional life. So the bulk of my time uh, is still spent managing that managing that team, working on that. But most recently, I'm now able to, you know, as, as I've been able to reduce the time I have to commit to to making money, I suppose, that I'm able to spend a lot more of my time doing other things. So like you mentioned in the intro, I have the foundation now, which I'm able to, to commit time to on a regular basis. Uh, I'm actually uh, publishing a book this year, which I'm able to commit time to, and, and I'm a, a big a health advocate. So as much as I can during the week, uh, taking long breaks during the day to go go into the park, go to the gym, uh, spend my time uh, putting myself in the, right, in the right mindset, really. So my days in general are pretty structured in that I have a couple of really big work blocks, um, but then I also have a couple of really big uh, freedom blocks where I can uh, take time doing these other hobbies, doing these other things and spending a good chunk of my time doing exactly what I want to do.
0: So you're writing a book. Do you consider the book writing time part of your freedom fun time or is it part of the work block? I'm curious.
1: It's actually... It's part of the freedom fun time with an asterisk. So I think what... And the foundation is the same. So the, the marketing business is what I consider at the moment, kind of the bulk of, of my profession. And for that, um, I tend to, to allocate the bulk of my time. And while I recognize that the book And the foundation, it's not, I'm not sitting on a beach. I'm working in the sense of I'm in front of a computer, being strategic and and writing or or what it might be. However, I'm I'm doing it purely because I want to do it. There's no um, coercion. There's no... Uh, client, there's no really big financial necessity for me to do that. I'm just purely doing it because I'm interested in in doing it. So it's it's definitely in the fun freedom bucket, but it does have does have a little asterisk.
0: I like those little asterisks in life. I mean that that makes sense. And for a lot of us, I think it's the same. Sometimes there's a blurred line between fun and work because. When you've chosen the right work, it can be pretty fun. And uh, sometimes people let their hobbies turn into a chore, turn into work too. So you kind of have to watch it both ways, right? It's a little bit of a tightrope. Yeah, absolutely. And so, tell us about your book. What do you have a title yet? Uh, what's it about? So we can uh, kind of know what to anticipate.
1: Yeah, the book. The book is called. It's a long title, but the main title is Launch in Five. So I have when I started my business, we there was a few different parts. I. I kind of experimented with, but ended up pursuing the path of helping companies and helping businesses launch new things, new products, new events, new apps, whatever it might be. I had a lot of experience in that prior and I liked it. It was a good little niche, good little niche to be in. So I started this business where we pursue and we follow a five-step launch system. On behalf of our clients. And over the years, last few years, we've done, as, as you pointed out at the start, a, a lot of launches and, and done pretty well for, for our clients. The challenge is there's a lot of people that come to us and they just don't have deep pockets. And obviously, if you want to hire an expert or, or a team to support you, it, it's going to cost money. And there's advertising spend and marketing budgets to consider outside of just the service fees, so it's kind of out of reach of a lot of people. From a lot of people to to hire an agency like us to help them launch. And as part of my, I guess, goals or ambitions to really build a free lifestyle where I can kind of live live the life I want to live, I'm very process oriented. So I have the you know really strong processes for our launch system, our five step launch system. And I just thought a really easy way to easy with an asterisk, but a really a meaningful way to allow and give access to people who don't have deep pockets uh, to this kind of launch system so they can diy and, and implement it themselves would be writing a book essentially so i spent that was kind of my covid project uh, at the start of the, the, lock, the first lockdowns i i kind of really knuckled down and started doing that and it's been a long process it's taken longer than i anticipated but it's due to be published now i guess uh, end of summer this year and it's just it moves through the five-step launch system that we move through on behalf of our clients and gives gives examples and data and benchmarks so that, you know, knock on wood, my, my goal there is anyone can pick that up and uh, take those next steps and validate and launch an idea without spending a, a whole bunch of money and kind of just follow the re- recipe for themselves so that it's not out of reach for, for for some people who don't have those, as I say, those deep pockets and, and anyone can do it.
0: So what are your typical clients like who's your typical client that comes to you and says help me launch
1: typical client the typical client i would say is someone who has begun the prototyping and development of their business idea so i think there's a range really of of someone looking to launch there's people who might look to launch and for me this is the per- this early 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 stage is the perfect time to pursue these launch, some of these launch strategies before you invest a whole lot of time, energy and money into a particular endeavor. And so you have some people coming to you right at the get-go. Maybe they've literally got an idea on the back of a napkin and they want to see, okay, has this got potential? And then you've got the other end of the spectrum who might come to us where they've literally manufactured the product. So they've done everything. They've built, manufactured products. They have thousands of units of product ready to go. They have website branding, et cetera, et cetera. For me, that's quite late. And and I would, especially late for those people who come at that stage, having not really performed the market research on the product and validated the concept. Um, So that's the other end of the spectrum. I would say most people come to us somewhere in the middle of that. So they've, they've been tinkering. Maybe they have a product idea. They've started developing it a little bit. They've got a couple of prototypes. Maybe they've built a preliminary website to start showcasing the product something like that so they've definitely taken a few steps, but they haven't really gone all in yet they, they certainly haven't signed any any contracts or partnerships with manufacturers yet and at most they have a few uh, basic self-built prototypes or kind of mock-up apps or whatever it is they're launching that they've been toying around with and, and just experimenting with so usually that stage where they're on the precipice of having something that they think, okay, I've created something here. And now I need to decide, am I going to X? Am I going to invest $20,000, dollars $50,000 pursuing this? Am I going to begin manufacturing this? Am I going to quit my full-time job and, and do this as my, as my main gig? So they're kind of usually on the precipice of that, of that decision. And more often than not, they're thinking, I'm going to go all in. And they're coming to us to help them do that. And, but our, our the first step we're always going to take is okay well let's validate that this is going to work we're the right people with the right strategies to actually develop this and and, and launch this for you so that's what I would say as a typical typical client is right on the precipice of, of making a big decision on on whether to pursue this idea or this business project and and they're now looking for a partner looking for someone who's done it before to really direct them down that path
0: now acknowledging that you might have to keep some names or brands confidential. I, you know, I don't know what your policy is with sort of publishing success stories or case studies. But do you have a favorite client story that you like to share?
1: I'm going to say I have one I, I always like to share, and it's my favorite. Not because it's the biggest campaign we've done, or the, the most money that's been made, or it's a particular product that I that I love. But uh, there's a there a campaign. That really was was very early days for us, and it was called Sheets and Giggles, and uh, it was a chap called Colin McIntosh who 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 essentially was was that kind of right in that position of deciding, am I going to go all in on this? So he had a concept of Eucalyptus. Bed sheet with humor he calls it a pun based bedding company sheets and giggles and he was at that very early stage of his journey and frankly so so was i you know my business wasn't very old at that stage he was one of our earliest success, success stories and it was just a blast it was the campaign did well and he was great to work with. We've, we have a gr- a good friends with him now. We worked with Sheets and Giggles for a couple of years, helping them develop those early foundations. And I mean, if you just go check out the Sheets and Giggles website and their Instagram feeds, and they're just a great brand. And it was a really fun one to work on. They've ended up being a perfect example for other clients we work with to look up to. They've they launched successfully. They did the right things. And post-launch, they've ended up in the years that followed, developing and building a really successful business that all started working alongside us with our simple five-step system. So I think that's one that always stands out to me because for me, it was one of our earliest, if not our earliest success stories. And they've gone on to do so well and just be such a perfect example for all the other people we work with as to how to do things right. That That's one that probably stands out in my mind more than others.
0: And as a professional marketer, do you ever find yourself almost becoming more kind of critical and analytical when you look at other people's marketing campaigns? Does it become like a sporting event where you'll see a marketing campaign? You'll go, oh, no, fumble. Like, that's no, don't do that. You know, yelling at the screen or something because you get to sort of see it as an insider, but everyone out there is marketing. I mean, everything we look at outside, everything from billboards as you're driving around, all the ads in our feeds nowadays, You know, every email that you're trying to open, there's some sort of ad somewhere in it, maybe in a browser banner at the top. It's an ad and marketing filled world. Um, how does it feel to be an insider and sort of know the behind the scenes of what all of these ads are aiming to do and accomplishing?
1: There's actually there's a book called uh, "To Sell as Human" by by Dan Pink, and I, I thought a lot about that book when I was writing mine because everyone, as I mean, as you allude to, Flavia, everyone's marketing. If I'm if I'm trying to persuade my wife to go out for dinner, I'm selling to my wife the benefits of going out for dinner, and I want her to persuade her to do that, and and that's essentially what we're all doing all the time every day with our kids with our bosses or whoever it might be so it is we really are I think that's something that is interesting to me in, in that I can see clearly how or maybe it's the other way around the chicken and the egg maybe it's because I do so much marketing in my day-to-day and have done my professional career it then I just see everything as marketing or maybe everything is marketing and I'm able to, to see that because of what I do as a profession. Uh, so I definitely agree with you there. I think the one thing, maybe one thing I try the most to avoid is comparison. Because I think one thing that I definitely see in the space I work in, in launch marketing, is how it's so much like an iceberg. And you see the, the tip, what, what shows above the water, but you just don't see what goes on underneath. And crowdfunding, which is a space with we do a lot of Kickstarter, Indiegogo, those type of platforms. There's a great example of that because you when you go to those platforms, you tend to see the best and the biggest campaigns. And the best and the biggest campaigns naturally have really strong marketing behind them. But other people, we speak with people who come to us and, and say, Oh, well, I saw this campaign that did two million dollars and my product's better than theirs. And that may be true, but they're just looking at the tip of the iceberg above the water and they're really not understanding what's going on under the under the surface there and what kind of financial investments have gone in or for example i've seen other agencies in our space and us we've done the same thing we run ads in fact i think sheets and giggles was was the one of the first times we did this we run ads where or send emails where you purposefully make a mistake because you know especially with ads if you make a mistake people love calling out mistakes and when you're advertising especially on things like facebook the the more engagement you get on an ad, the better. And so if you make a little mistake, like you spell a word wrong or you forget to add a headline and you just put like, insert headline here, pretending someone's forgotten to add that in, you're going to get a lot of engagement, a lot of people calling you out on that, and discussing that. And, and they're obviously going to think, oh, these guys are stupid. They made a mistake. And that's the kind of comments you'll get. But the reality is it was it was done purposefully. So I think if anything, when it comes to marketing, the more I do it, the less I try and compare myself or the less I spend too much time dwelling on on other campaigns. Because the truth is, I just only see the surface and I just don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And so it's not a fair apples to apples comparison because everyone generally, when you're positioning your marketing campaign, you put your best foot forward. And that that's counterintuitive uh, with regards to the spelling mistake example I just gave. but. By and large, marketing campaigns, marketing agencies—you're going to be putting your best foot forward. And like, like when you scroll through an Instagram feed, you don't see people's worst, worst days, do you? You see their best lives, and uh, and so that's just not representative of, of everything. So I think if yeah, if anything, I'd probably try and and. Uh, just acknowledge other marketing campaigns and and kind of give a nod of the head rather than uh, screaming at the screen. Because the truth is, I just don't know whether they've done something on purpose, by accident, or kind of what's gone into what it is I'm seeing in front of me.
0: Do you think you end up sort of learning a lot and becoming a master of psychology when you work in marketing? Because what you just said about it's good to trigger people's desire to correct things or people want it to be correct. Or, you know, if they see something that seems authentic and real, like, oh, someone made a typo where it kind of sparks engagement. I mean, that's real. That's head work, right? That's that's getting into people's minds and their motivations. And it seems like you probably have to become quite an expert in psychology.
1: I did study psychology. <laughs> But I don't. I don't consider myself an expert necessarily. You know, I think that's an interesting note, and I also think it's a it's a balance because as much as we want to implement the strategies that are going to drive the best results, at the end of the day, I do not want to be deceiving. And there's a line there between you know, doing a typo and having people call you out to give you an engagement boost and creating content or ads that, that, are, that are deceiving someone into making a purchase that may not be right for them. So I think ultimately, it comes down for me to, is there value in this in marketing this product and selling this product to this person? That, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Now, once we've agreed upon that, that yes, this is valuable, this is useful, this isn't wasteful. This isn't deceptive to someone to make them buy it, we're not tricking them into buying it. Then there are the strategies that you can implement to just make sure that message is reaches the right people as much as possible and it reaches as many people as possible. And there is there are psychological elements to it. I think especially in copywriting, there's a lot of psychology in copywriting in in how you're structuring the language. I would argue, yeah, that probably someone who's who's spent their lifetime in, in psychology human psychology, persuasion, would be an excellent, excellent marketer. I don't think that that, that's me. I don't think that spending 10 years, even 10 years doing marketing makes me an an expert in psychology. But I would definitely say that if if a psychologist were to come and look at our launch system and look at some of our strategies and look at some of our content and templates, they'd probably be able to kind of mark in there uh, some of the bits and pieces that, um, are very much psychological, they have psychological elements in in persuading someone to take action or triggering someone's attention or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think psychologists would make excellent, excellent marketers and salespeople.
0: Well, segueing from psychology to something that's kind of close to psychology, how do you keep yourself One sane and two productive and efficient, and you know, find time to work on your foundation and your company, and write a book, and still have free time. What are some of your best tips for how to either fool your brain, you know, be the psychologist yourself, and find ways to find that work-life balance, or um, maybe it's technology, maybe it's uh, some great software that you like and recommend. But what are some of your best methods for maintaining that white space in your calendar?
1: I would say, for me. I fill the time I allocate to myself. So in my calendar, I'm looking at my calendar right now and it's to someone else. I'm sure it looks horrific, but it's it's because I use my calendar to block to block times and at the start of each week or start of each month, start of each month, I'm going to plan out my my time allocation. And you actually talked about and you know, I think in your first episode uh, a pie chart or some sort of graph you did or or some some sort of graph exercise where you can Track your time and see where your time is going. And I've done that maybe twice in the years I've had this business, where I've timed for a week or so, literally everything I do, and and presented, you know, giving myself one of those one of those kind of graphs or or pie charts to see how my time is being allocated. And just over the years, as I've done exercises like that and and worked out how I work, it's true for me that if I put in my calendar on on a Sunday evening, will you're going to work? 45 hours next week, and I put plug that in, and I block out that much time for clients and blah, 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 and I put my gym time over here to make sure that I have those eight hours a day or nine hours a day, I will use that time. And the same note, if I put four hours a day of work and block out the rest for outdoors or exercise or reading or whatever it might be, then I'll only work four hours a day. And I'll still get a lot done. I might not get quite as much done. And that's kind of that balance you have to have with well, do I want to work 100 hours and maybe make a lot more money? Or do I want to work 20 hours and make more than enough money and be perfectly happy and not feel the need to go that extra step? But ultimately, for me, it's, it's as simple as. If I block out my time and I give myself a certain amount of time to do stuff, I will use that time. So for me, as I said earlier, a big goal of mine every year is to reduce the amount of time I spend, quote unquote, working. And so to ensure that happens, I, I, I track my time very diligently and I'm able to, to block out and make sure that, let's say, I want to work 1,200 hours. In 2022, then I can make sure I only block out and put 1,200 hours of work in my calendar over the course of the year, and then that's what I'll you know give or take you know a little bit. That's what I'll end up working. So for me, it's just it's just time blocking and making sure that. Reducing the time I'm allowing myself to get stuff done, and that just I guess as a consequence makes me more efficient and productive with that time. But it it's, it sounds really simple, and it's not it's not genius advice. But but honestly, that's for me. You know, I just I set less hours in my day to work, and so I work less hours. Yeah,
0: you know, I agree with you. And maybe it's because one of my passions is real estate and buildings and houses and development. But you know, I've seen this happen because I will sometimes help clients from one house to the next to the next, and generally people upsize. As they go and then they reach a certain age and maybe they're retired and then they it kind of turns down where now they're looking to downsize. But for many years, even decades, families grow and needs grow and people go from a one bedroom to a two bedroom to a three bedroom to a four bedroom. And what's interesting is we, we somehow fill up our space with stuff, right? Like you you go to a three bedroom. So now you have three bedrooms worth of stuff, furniture and belongings and things. So, you know, some people are kind of more cluttered than others, right? And some people live more Spartan in their environment, Mm -hmm. but we generally kind of fill what we have Mm -hmm. available to us. And I think that Mm -hmm. spills over into how we manage our calendars. You're right, we fill what's available to us. So if if you give your entire calendar as a potential work period, you might end up working all your waking hours, you know, because it's available to it and it just expands into the space that you allow it. Right.
1: And in the same vein, if I'm someone who says, okay, I'm I'm working too much at the moment and I want to spend more time, I don't know, taking up art or whatever it is you do. For me, I have to put that in my calendar because if if it's not in my calendar, it's not going to, I'm going to fall into that trap of just, okay, well, I'm just working now. So if I want to, spend 4 hours i used to do something on wednesday i used to take wednesday afternoons off and it was reading time for me this was a couple of years ago and i'd have to block it off because if it's not blocked off to be reading time it would get i'd get sucked into other tasks and it would be i'd end up working so in the same vein of blocking out the time to work for me it's equally important that i give all those other things i want to do equal importance and therefore block that time out for that too literally in my in my calendar to make sure i get it done But I guess the same scenario for you, you have this podcast, you you do real estate. Do you use your calendar in the the same vein and kind of block out afternoons or, or days for particular projects?
0: I do for example when we were scheduling this podcast well first of all I had really nothing to do with the scheduling you know I wanted to use a guest and that's great but then I have help right so delegating certain tasks is a great way to be more efficient and to utilize your time better so someone else handled that but I only schedule podcasts for 2 days of the week during certain hours and never more than a certain number of episodes per day and so I do sort of delegate ahead of time what is allowed on my calendar so that nothing comes in and overwhelms it. And I agree with you. It's great to set aside time for things that are important to you. I have one calendar. I was kind of glancing at my calendar as we spoke because it, it kind of makes you introspective a little bit to see how am i you know doing this because even when you set out to do it a certain way after some time it's easy to slide away from that habit you were trying to cultivate and i see a block and it just says teach daughter how to do backflip <laughs> you know like and it's not that That's if i hadn't cool. calendared it i would forget to or that she's not important enough to just be in my mind without needing to live in my calendar but I was actually protecting that time from other things that could pop up. So it wasn't a reminder to myself to do the thing. It was to make sure that other things didn't creep in and crowd it out so that I would no longer had the ability to go and spend a sunny afternoon at the park teaching a kid how to do a backflip.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not a case of, I think protecting is exactly the right word. It's not a case that I will necessarily forget to do certain things, but maybe it's just the Western world, this day and age kind of maybe it's just the us to be honest which is a very it's a very high work ethic and productivity ethic but it just feels like and especially in the last couple of years with covid where people have been at home a lot the default position is open up the laptop and crack on because there's always something more to do with, with in your work life and so if you don't protect that time it's just so easy to open up the laptop and dig into something else when does that something else needs to be done right now today no it doesn't but uh, there's just nothing else to fill up the time then it's easy to fall into that practice yeah well
0: this has been extremely interesting to me I love 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 delving into these topics um, it's great to speak to someone like you who has a lot of experience in in managing you know a, a complicated work life that you've had to develop ways to make sure that you can get all the things you want to do done and reach your goals and you know, develop. Like you said, you actually decide ahead of time for the year, how much do I really want to devote to managing my company? And if you give yourself a certain number of hours, you're going to have to either become more efficient or delegate more or structure your company in a way that makes that work. And I think these are fabulous conversations and it's a conversation All solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, even people who aren't in business for themselves and you're working for someone else, we owe it to ourselves and our families to take a moment to really think about it and be strategic about where we're spending our time because that's the one resource it's very difficult to to find more of, right? I mean, we have the time we have and we don't even know how much time that is. Um, It's our most precious commodity. So I'm very appreciative of you spending time with us today to talk about these things. I think they're important topics. If people want to connect with you, either to find out more about your marketing services uh, for your marketing company, or even just to get on your list to know about your book and uh, know when that comes out for those of us who would prefer to kind of do it yourself rather than hiring an agency from the start. How do people connect with you?
1: Sure. Yeah. Both those things are doable on our website, russellmarketing.co. If you go to that that website, uh, you'll be able to both sign up to the book list and get a discount when that book goes live. And also uh, learn more about the business and and what we get up to. Uh, There's a form there that you can submit uh, to chat more about that. Of course, I'm always open. uh, So there's also a a link on that website for a weekly ask me anything I do. So if anyone just wants to pick my brain or ask me some questions, uh, then there's an opportunity with these kind of open office hours I have every Wednesday where I just jump on a Google meet call and then people can sign up to, to come in and join me and ask me some questions. So all of those options are out there for people and, and you can just find all of them housed neatly at russellmarketing.com.
0: Excellent. So everyone reach out to will Russell at RussellMarketing.co. So Russell with two S's and two L's marketing.co. Thanks, Will. It's been great to have you on. Can't wait to speak again next time. Thanks so much, Flavia. Bye-bye. Guess what lifestyle solopreneurs? If you don't yet have an online business earning you enough passive income to live the life of your dreams, I'd like to suggest you consider trying out Kajabi. Kajabi is an all-in-one solution where you can create and teach online courses, publish a paid newsletter, launch a free or paid podcast, process payments, build one-on-one coaching portals for your clients, and much, much more. I personally use Kajabi to power numerous successful and profitable online businesses. Lifestyle solopreneurs, there's a free trial of Kajabi waiting for you at this link, www.kfreetrial.com. You can try Kajabi for free, no obligation, by going to www.kfreetrial.com. Again, kfreetrial.com, and that K stands for Kajabi. Starting an online business helped me break free from that corporate grind, and I hope it does the same for you. You have nothing to lose and absolutely everything to gain. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, and see you next time.